I feel that inspired energy is... That inspiration and something takes your breath away. The tie-in for inspired energy and fear. Inspired energy for me is the energy that you draw from others. You know, and I think that maybe fits into my definition of inspired energy. Like, right now, I'm in the zone. Inspired energy. So I think, for me, the inspiration comes from people. Being inspired to use up your energy. Inspired energy was what motivated me. Ah, inspired energy. Leadership, COVID, employee engagement, effective meetings, dealing with change and strategic planning. I talked to Dave McEwen, CEO of Outfield Leadership and author of The Self-Evolved Leader, about these topics and more in episode 92 of the Inspired Energy podcast. Dave was on the podcast last year. We had an awesome chat and so good to have him on again and to explore these topics and more. And honestly, a bit of a riff around these topics and just feeding off each other. And I just love doing that with people like Dave that are just so full of knowledge and wisdom and and humble in what they do. Dave's book launched at the start of last year. And if you haven't checked it out, do check out The Self-Evolved Leader, so full of practical tips to grow as a leader in whatever you're doing. And, and obviously with COVID, that impacted his book launch. And so we talk a bit about that and about his wishes and hopes still that he has for this fantastic book. We do talk a lot about what life's like right now for leaders and how through some real simple tips, you can still develop your leadership and focus on your team right now, which is just so important. We talk about flexing that long-term strategic planning muscle right now and how important that is, bringing some intention to your meetings and also through increasing that employee engagement right now. So I hope you enjoy this awesome conversation with Dave McEwen in episode 92. Once again, I'm lucky enough to have the awesome Dave McEwen from the USA, except he doesn't have an American accent. He's got a beautiful accent. <laughs> Love talking to Dave. And Dave is the author of The Self-Evolved Leader. And I'm going to be really open here and say when I read the book, we're going to talk about the book very briefly, because when I read the book, I was excited for you and slightly jealous because it is so cool to take everything that you've learned over the years and put it in this great book. So great to be talking to you, Dave. Murray, it is just great. Fantastic to be back again. Love, love speaking with you. Um, tell me, obviously, releasing Self-Evolved Leader uh, early last year, mm -hmm. um, you would have had some big plans for that book and then COVID hit. Uh, what happened to those plans and the book? How did that all pan out? have a nice little garbage can right beside me <laughs> and they all just get swept into there. The book came out January 20th. We had a really good February. Uh, everything started to get a little shaky around March. And, uh, you know, I was hoping to, to, to use the book um, uh, to help get onto some more keynote stages and, and help sell it to wider audiences and, you know, use it in person with my clients. And all of that slowly uh, got sucked out. Uh, funny enough, having said that, given the year that we had, been really, really um, happy with the with the outcome 
with the reach that it's had and the impact that it's had. Uh, actually just heard uh, the other day that it's go it's being picked up by a, a university in Holland and they're going to use it as their central uh, textbook in a in a course around um, uh, authentic leadership so that's really exciting um, but yeah it was definitely the best laid plans of mice and men um, often go astray and that one definitely took a, a sharp turn right yeah and for those that haven't uh, checked out the book, um, check out the link in the show notes. It is a fantastic book. It talks about, as Dave just referenced, um, being an authentic leader, I would say a conscious, mindful leader, um, how you evolve as a leader. And what I love about it too is some real practical tips in the book. And at the back of the book, there's some real great frameworks to help people take what you've got in the book and apply it. Um, so yeah, please check it out, read it, and let Dave know what you get out of it. It's a great book. Um, and, and that's so great to hear that the that university in Holland is going to use it in that course. Yeah, uh, that is really awesome, cool. mate. That is fantastic. Um, how, how's life for you at the moment? It's, it's pretty good. Um, you know, it feels like over the last 12 to 14 months, uh, there's been a lot of back and forth and in and out and um, adjusting and pivoting. And... The th let me say this, the one thing that in our world, I think has been positive on all of this is the degree to which it has forced all of us to get truly good at virtual delivery. Mm. Um, you know, it's been one of those things that we've talked about in terms of training and consulting that, you know, people are like, oh yeah, we can do that virtually. And you, you know, you, you go and attend a webinar and it's just drivel for 60 minutes somebody's showing powerpoint slides we've now got to the point where people are realizing actually let's create a really compelling virtual experience for people and so what one of the big things that i'm taking away personally from the from the last year is just um a growth in my own ability to craft an online experience for a group of people and deliver that really well and feel good about it yeah i i totally echo what you're saying there i feel like i've well, I was driven to make that pivot online. And um, it's something that my wife was saying to me in the years prior to 2020. And maybe I should listen to her more often, Dave. I don't know. But it was like, ah, oh, this is what I could do. Thanks, honey. Yeah. Okay. Now let's do this. Um, but I'm proud to say I've gotten better, obviously, through the practice and delivery and the feedback through last year. And you're right. It's not just let's throw up 600 slides with 400 words on each slide and put someone to sleep. Yeah. There's some really great things we can do now using platforms and, and styles to really engage people online. Um, I, I'm going to share a vulnerable story and, and maybe create some space for you. One of my sure. earliest sessions, I think I had 20 people mid session two hour session and was jumped into a breaking breakout room to see how the conversation's going. And then um, I thought, okay, that conversation's going great. Go into another breakout room. Instead of clicking leave room, I've clicked end session for everybody. So that was a you great. Kicked everybody off. <laughs> just kicked everyone out. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I did that back in like March last year. Right. So I learned pretty quickly. Hang on. Before you're rushing, just check which button you're clicking on. But that was okay. It was a client I, kn I knew and we could have a bit of a laugh about it, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I have had some pretty 
terrible experiences. I mean, you know, I've tested every technology under the sun and some of them are just terrible and you're just kind of stuck there going, why am I doing this? The funniest one I had was, was pretty early on and I was, um, I was doing a virtual session for a client for the very first one. I was hoping it would be a, a, a longstanding engagement. And it was in the middle of the summer, which in California is pretty hot. And we don't have central air conditioning. We have little window units that make a lot of noise. And so you don't want to run that during a virtual session because it could just can be very, very um, off-putting. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> I, I made the mistake of, uh, I, I, I got a stationary bike um, whenever all of this happened and I, and, I, and I had a workout in the morning and I just have this terrible propensity that about 30 to 45 minutes after I work out, like I just will continually to sweat even if I've had a shower because my body temperature is just elevated. Yeah. So I go in and do this session. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling okay. I've got the lights on, the air conditioner's not on. And then I start to think, gosh, this is like, I'm getting super <laughs> really hot here. And this, and I just start getting beads and beads. And I'm like, what do I do? And so I just, you know, like I said, vulnerable moment. I just said, hey guys, just to let you know, I, I'm, <laughs> and I explained the whole story. I just worked out. I'm super, it's super hot in here. I'm just, I've got this towel and I'm dabbing myself. But I just want you to know, like, I'm not like wilting under pressure here. This is just... <laughs> my body temperature being far too high than it should be. So that was my lesson. Don't work out within about an hour of you about to go and do something virtually. <laughs> nice, nice lesson. But I, I actually think you're, you're highlighting another one here, which I've heard from clients and I'm sure you've heard and seen, and that is another benefit through the last year has been how it's created opportunity for more vulnerability, more realness, um, I've heard of a story from one of my clients where the CEO of 2000 people was doing an update, which he would normally do face-to-face -face, doing it online at his uh, dining table in a t-shirt and tracksuit pants. And then his daughter walks past and says, hi. And everyone was like, okay, yes, it's professional less it's and it's real. We're getting the data we need, but I'm getting to see this person as a real person. Right. I, I think it's just as beautiful. Oh, I hope yes. that aspect of it never goes away. I mean, I'm sure you remember seeing that old the from about four or five years ago, maybe not that long ago, the BBC clip where they're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. interviewing again. The kid comes in and it's like everyone's like, Oh my goodness, this is the worst thing in the world to happen. And now it's like, Yeah, here's your kid. You know, you want to you want to get them up and and say hello. And you know, I do I do hope that that continues in the whatever world that we emerge into in the next. 12 to 18 months, you know, Murray, that, that that's a big part of what I teach and, and what's in the self-evolved leader, you know, just this ability to, to be able to come into a room and just talk the way you and I are talking rather yeah. than having to feel the need to put that veneer of, prof I don't want to say professionalism because you can be just as perfect. You can be authentic and professional at the same time, but yeah, that veneer of like, you know, corporateness maybe is, is probably a better word. So can I ask the question here um, and what your thoughts are? And I was having a conversation with a coaching client the other day because she said, I actually want to know what it means to bring my whole self to work. And yeah. it was uh, just that question generates some really good exploration for us. But what are your thoughts on how we balance authenticity and the real you and professionalism? I, I, I think that it's maybe... There's maybe less of a, they don't sit on opposite ends of the seesaw. It's probably more of a Venn diagram. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I think where 
when we go wrong is when we feel like we have to put a front up or engage in something that we wouldn't feel comfortable doing in our own home. You know, like Mm -hmm. when you feel like you have to be a little, a little less than who you are. And maybe in, in conversations with somebody afterwards, you would think you would sort of say, well, I probably should have done this or, or, or shown up in that way instead. Um, it's not about being the same person that you are on a Friday night at the pub with your friends. Cause yep. then we're, we're losing a little bit of professionalism, but it's also not that, you know, that, that example of somebody comes in and, you know, they, they talk to the folks in the room and they're like, Hey, how are you? How are the kids? How was the weekend? And there's this degree of, you know, social connection. And then they kind of clear their throat and they go, okay, well, thank you all for coming today. And, and this is what we're here to talk about. And you sort of think, well, you were just talking to them. Like you were like good friends. Yeah. Where, where it's like that I, person go. It's like, I now need to switch uh, my persona to be the corporate person or the, right. the, what I think a leader used to be or a manager used to be versus right. I'm bringing my, myself, my style, my preference, my personality to the way I communicate and show up and talk to people. Yeah. 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 And I think the other thing that underpins it is um, the ability, I think that it extends outside the workplace as well, but just the ability to engage in adult to adult conversations with people mm. and adult to adult relationships. So the ability to come to somebody and say, look, here's my particular perspective. Here's my set of beliefs. Here's, you know, what I would like in this situation and to have somebody come and say, okay, I appreciate and I understand that here's my perspective and here's what I, my set of beliefs and here's what I would like to happen. And, and to know that you get to say yes or no, or to be able to walk away or we'll find something else and to not have to feel that need to manipulate situations to turn out the way that you want them to be. Um, because I think that, that that prevents other people from being their whole selves. Yeah. And, and it also just it also detracts a little bit from from you as well. Um, and going back to the comments around virtual uh, sessions, virtual meetings, one of the challenges I think that I've been witness to when I've dropped in on team meetings for clients, but also heard is we have been very focused on oh we're having a meeting it's online let's just be focused on business and we're not including the check-in on the how are you as a person today what's going on in your world and the banter that you'd have in a face-to-face meeting before the meeting starts yeah and i think that's really important that people don't lose that and bring that back in i think it is i think that um the technology lends itself to a very transactional way of, yeah. of interacting with each other, unless we are very intentional about not letting it be that way. Um, and funny, funny enough, I think there are two elements to that one. There's just the intentionality around it and how you approach it. The second thing is, is just the quality of the tech. Um, because if you go into a, you know, let's say eight, 10 person, whether it's a Zoom meeting or Teams or whatever, if you've got folks with, you know, bandwidth issues that aren't great or, or folks with camera issues that aren't great or mic issues that aren't great, it stifles that natural flow. Part of the, of the ability to be social with one another is the natural back and forth that happens. And if it's all like, oh, oh, sorry, oh, you go, oh, I'm talking over you. And, and I think as we move likely more towards a hybrid um, setup, 
I think one of the things that organizations should continue to do is find budget for the folks that are working at home to have quality enough tech so yeah. that it <clears throat> removes that barrier. Mm -hmm. um, and what I think uh, is also an addition to that is just setting up some protocols in your teams. Um, how are we going to show up for our meetings? How are we going to interact? Uh, uh, a great example for me is I've ran some sessions for some clients and I get there and it's like 75% of people don't have their video turned on. Right. And I'm like, hang on. And I've just, I've actually said, this would be like us sitting in a room with a book in front of our face. You know, is, is that what we would do? And, and then all of a sudden the videos come undone and, you know, they start to light up and I say, okay, so let's set some expectations how we're going to work. Right. Yeah. Or, or those, those old school, um, you know, joke glasses with the eyes on them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's true. And, and, you know, in, in general, you know, meetings get such a bad reputation. People are like, I hate meetings. Let's not have another meeting. And, and I, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm like, meetings are great. You, you, you get some of your best work done in meetings. If, you do them correctly. And that's the problem is it's not that people dislike meetings. It's like they, it's that they dislike bad meetings. It's and like, then, yeah. And they, they've had so many bad meetings. I don't find them valuable anymore. So why should I bother? Why, why should I ever have another one ever again? Well, yeah. well don't take that perspective, just build a better meeting because it, it just, you, you know, there's, there's collaboration and creativity and the meeting of minds and creative tension and a whole bunch of really great stuff that can happen if it's facilitated well. And I think that that is, is um, facilitation from my perspective is one of the most underutilized or undeveloped skills in our leaders today. And it's one of the most important, the ability to really facilitate um, a good outcome of a group, um, I think is something that you know, if somebody's out there listening, thinking, how can I make my meetings better? I, I would say, learn how to be a good facilitator and, and you'll really get there. I think that's such a great uh, point of view there, Dave, because unfortunately, I think a lot of meetings uh, with all good intent, it's like, I'm going to present to you some information. I'm going to present to you an update on uh, current business KPIs or where we are on our scoreboard or a project. And now who's got questions? No questions. Okay, see you. Right. That, that, as we know, is not facilitation. Right. Yeah. Um, if there was a tip that you would give a leader right now around facilitating, what would it look like? Um, it would be to, to view the however length of time that you have as an experience rather than a meeting that mm. your people are going to go through and to view your role as one of designing an experience that gets to the outcome that you need to uh, in a way that makes people feel good about it. Um, it's no different than, you know, you ever go to a dinner party and you, and, and you know the difference between a, a, a really well-planned dinner party and a really terrible dinner party. And on the really well-planned one, it's because somebody's thought about it. They're like, okay, well, who are we going to invite? Who works? Who mixes well together? How long are we going to be together for? What's the flow through, you know, the the evening? Or do we uh, are people going to come in? We're going to give them drinks and then hors d'oeuvres. What time do you go for dinner? What do we do after dinner? And there's just this natural kind of flow through it because they're crafting an experience. And I, I know it kind of maybe sounds a little bit kind of out there, but meetings are exactly the same. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're, they're an experience. There's a great book that was released last year. 
um, I'm just, it, it's um, called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. And it's a fantastic just little guidebook for how to craft really compelling ex experiences. And she uses examples like dinner parties and, and examples like meetings in, in the workplace. And, and after I read that, it transformed how I even view my own facilitation with my clients. Mm -hmm. it's about, you you got to get really um, strong around creating those parameters and protocols that you talk to um, whenever you do that. Yeah. And so there's a few things there that drop out for me. One is the, the preparation, get really clear uh, in your preparation phase. And I think about the journey you want to take people on. So whether it's a meeting for half an hour, a session for two hours, or, you know, in the work that you and I do, you know, what does it look like over a day or two days or whatever it is? We're going to go from A to B. And what does that look like? How are people going to feel? And how do you want them to feel when they finish? Yeah, that session that, yeah that, that's huge i've got a couple other pointers in there if you if you want yeah, to yeah. delve a little deeper oh no 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 don't have time <laughs> um so a really important thing is to try to keep the horizon of focus the same throughout the meeting mm. Mm. so what what typically tends to happen is we come in and we're and we're there you know at our horizon of focus let's say it's our our monthly you know, update meeting and we come in and we'll look at the, at the KPIs and we then have a tendency to go way down into the granular details of like what happened yesterday and why we couldn't do that and, and, and finger pointing and blame. And we've just taken a dive to the runway or somebody brings up some big philosophical discussion about, you know, our overarching direction of who we are and how this impacts it. And, and those are great discussions that need to be had. But when you allow that to happen in a meeting, people, it's very hard for folks to switch context because just thinking about what needs to happen this month is very different than managing the day-to-day -day, which is very different yeah, than yeah. managing long-term direction so you know making really good use of you know great facilitation tool the parking lot say hey that's a really good important point we're probably not at that horizon uh, let's let's deal with that at our next weekly team meeting or you know we'll do a one-on-one -on, -one on that <laughs> afterwards or we'll handle that at our quarterly review whereas sometimes um non-facilitators or, or folks that aren't are, are not particularly well versed in it they just feel like well we've got to let everything be talked about yeah keep it yeah. at that horizon of focus um and then I, I, can i just say i love that and i love that for additional reason that is uh it's easy to for people to not acknowledge but in that process of using the parking lot it's that i hear you and i can see right. that's important but let's just capture that but now is not the time to talk about that but i acknowledge right. you yeah for sure rather yeah. than trying to argue against it or negate it or say that it's not yeah. it's not you know we've got to get no your job at that point is to make sure that that all gets followed, followed up on because yeah, of course as i'm sure as you know <laughs> there is there's more stuff that's hit a facilitator's parking lot that's never got out of there it's like, oh, yeah, we'll deal with that later on. You've got to make sure there's a next action assigned to it. Yeah. Um, the other thing then, once you're in there, is to think about the, the agenda. And realistically, something should only come onto your agenda for re in your regular meetings for one of three reasons. One, it's what you just said earlier, which is it's just an FYI. You know, here's just an update. You just need to know it. I, I, I don't really, I don't, you know, there's, no, there's nothing else here apart from it's just something that would be good for this team to know. Second thing is, here's something that I would like some feedback on. So there's a problem or challenge. Here's my perspective. I trust this team that is, that is here with me. I would love to hear your thoughts, and then I'll take them into consideration. I'll go do it. 
And then the third thing is, this is a this is an issue. This is a decision that we collectively mm. as a team need to make. And just just taking the small amount of time to make that distinction before you share whatever it is helps set everybody's brain into. Um, then understanding what it is that, that the person who's up there presenting that agenda item needs from me. How many times are folks sitting in the meeting going, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed yeah, to be yeah. doing here. We're going to tell people what they what, what they need to be doing. So getting really clear on that, I think can be helpful. And I reckon it's a common theme I've seen in leaders of skipping the context, not providing the context, the why are we talking about this in our busyness right. of wanting to get stuff done. Right. But what you're talking about there and providing that context, the bigger picture, the, the what's my intent right now can only take sometimes maybe 30 seconds or a minute, but make sure we're all on the same page. This is my intent. And I actually want to share this with you because we need to to actually come up with a decision or whatever it right. might be. Yeah. And, and, and it'll take 30 seconds, two minutes at the front end. It could save you coming back into the room again and again and again and again to have the discussion because people have, haven't quite figured out what, what you need from them. And, and again, that's another reason why, why people say, well, I, I don't, I hate meetings is because we have meetings about meetings and because I don't want to have, and it's like, well, actually, if you get really short and sharp, if you craft the intention for the meeting, you stay focused on that horizon, you're really good at, 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 at crystallizing that agenda. You can get in and out in 30 minutes and then you move on to implementation. Whereas what typically happens is we, we dislike meetings so much, we avoid them so much that we come together we try to tackle everything in a big two-hour slog session four-hour session eight six-hour session that goes all over the map and, and you're exhausted by the end of it you're not really quite clear on what was what was decided you're sure as heck not clear on what you're supposed to do after <laughs> it no idea how you're going to hold each other accountable for it and you go okay well let's just go let's go just go, go to the the local bar and, and and have a drink i don't know you know yeah yeah, I, I, I can feel the energy just when you talk through that of what that's like. And I've, I've lived it in the past and I'm, and I'm sure lots of listeners have as well. And, but I think as what we've just stepped through there, some real simple things can change that and just getting really clear. Why are we here? What are we here to talk about? And, and how are we today? Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Love yeah. Um, so it is May 2021. I can't believe how fast this year is going. I, I don't know. Maybe when you get to my age, Dave, you'll understand. But it's going super fast. Unbelievably so. <laughs> um, what I'm thinking about is in this, where we are right now, people around the world are in a really varied situation. Um, and use the word earlier, hybrid. Um, what do you know and what are your thoughts at the moment around um, how we move forward in this hybrid situation? Um, I, I think, let me tackle it, first of all, from a planning perspective, um, because I've had a lot of conversations, particularly the last month or so, as, as things in the US seem to be progressing uh, in certainly the, the right direction. A lot of my clients are saying, Dave, do we even need to or should we bother returning to longer term strategic planning like do mm. should we should we look at the next 12 months knowing that things are still quite uncertain on a on a on a global scale um to which i emphatically say yes um and and i say yes because when all of this started it forced us it took a lot of stuff out of our control and forced us really into survival mode on the day-to-day, week-to-week, maybe month-to-month. And, and that's runway level stuff. Yeah. 
And there's a really strong gravitational pull on runway level stuff. And the longer you spend in there, the heavier that pull comes. And mm. we begin to lose the muscle of just thinking a little bit more long-term, a little bit more strategically, a little bit more creatively. And, and so if only just to work that muscle a little bit more, I say, yes, let's start casting out 12 months from now with our best guesses, our best assumptions, knowing yeah, that yeah. anything could happen. Let's set a vision for if all things remained equal and we continued on a relatively positive path, what do we want to achieve um, in the next 12 months? And also actually just a, 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 an analysis of how has our organization shifted in the last 12 months? What of that do we want to keep? What do we not want to keep? Because there's been there's so much in there. Like there's there's the opportunity to reset your organization like, like no other time in history. Should you choose to, to go down the path, there's also a, an option to just not do anything and be exactly the same as you were. But that's a, another discussion. But yeah, forecast, you know, begin to plan 12 months out and have a ruthless focus on the next 30, 60, 90 days. Because you still yeah. got to manage the quarter. You know, you've got to do that. But just start to rebuild some of that muscle of, of longer term planning and again depending like you said on geography on industry our leaders are tired yeah. in really a huge number of places and, and getting them excited and revved up about longer term planning is a little can be a little tricky so it's 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 not the easiest thing to do but i would i would say give it a go i i am thinking uh brand your analogy on the runway and um if you think about from a pilot's perspective, uh, we've got the what's going on in the runway to make sure that we can take off, but we've also got that flight plan in place. Where are we going? What's the weather going to be like? And where do we want to land? So -hmm. we need to do that. We need to have that flight plan in place. And with the plan in place, we know where we can flex, you know, what's the weather going to be, you know, if we, when we do take off, there's birds that we've got to avoid going to the engine or there's a storm or that we've got to be a holding pattern but we don't just take off and go, Hey, we're going to land in LAX, you know, like we've got a plan. So, and I think that's where that balance of, as you said, really well, let's get clear on the runway and be ruthless and and clear around the brutal facts for the 30, 60, 90 days. But where do we want to be flying? You know, what does that look like? Yeah, I I think so. And and I love that notion of being able to flex. You can fly around some bad weather you know yeah, um, yeah the other thing i think that we've got to start doing or would be foolish not to is really take stock of the lessons learned from the last year and have some sort of a safety net for crisis from for for mm. um for emergency you know not necessarily around a global pandemic you know let's hope that that doesn't happen again in our lifetime but it may well um, and building on that, though, like it might not be another pandemic, but it may be another crisis that impacts your business. For sure. And what's the lessons you take out of this right. that are transferable in a, a dissimilar situation? Yes, absolutely. Because that was the, the interesting thing that when this happened, you know, I've lived through a couple of financial crises, not a huge number, but a few. And you know, when that, when those sorts of things happen, business leaders by and large have the skill set and the tools to deal with that. Yeah. When this crisis happened, that was the first thing that you started to hear. People were saying, I, I'm just not equipped. 
because mm. it, we've never been through anything like that. So how do we now begin to transfer those lessons? You know, we're, we, we've clearly learned that we're very resilient as, as, as people and, and we can do that. So, you know, we, will, we know that the next time a crisis hits, we'll have the, the resilience to do that. But what are the more tangible skills that, that, that we have to, to be able to make that happen? What's your thoughts around one of the biggest lessons for leaders around communication through this experience? Over-communicate with clarity. Mm. Um, with vul- so clarity, just absolutely simple messages with vulnerability. Um, this is what we know. This is what we don't know. This is what we think. This is our best guess. This is what yeah. we're going to try. What do you think? Yeah. Um, you know, I just don't, I, I just didn't, I, I didn't think before. And I definitely didn't think over the last 12, 12 months that that communication with certainty was helpful at all. I, I just, you know, it, it was, it was so particularly in those first stages, those first phases, just this certainty from certain camps and it's like, you cannot be that certain. So, yeah. so clar- clarity and vulnerability, I think, won the day, really. Well, I actually think what you're, you're saying there is communicating with vulnerability. Right. Like you're saying, I can be clear on this, but I actually don't know about this. We don't know. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's that vulnerability as opposed to with that certainty of, hang on, I'm setting, am I setting myself up to fail here by putting all my eggs in a basket of you know, this virus will be gone in two weeks time, you know, that, that's right. that type of, yeah, for sure. And I, I remember getting some emails from some organizations in the first two, three weeks. And, and they were like, you know what, we are going to make this our best month ever. And this is going to be fantastic. And we're doing more sales than, than and I'm like, just, you don't know that. Like we've yeah, got to yeah. take stock. We've got to take stock and that braggadocious attitude is just don't think is going to work. So um, yeah, the, the, you can be, you can not know and be clear. Mm. right those those two things are not necessarily the same um you can also really know and not be clear so be clear <laughs> be clear on whatever that message is yeah. but the vulnerability is the important one recognize and, and point out clearly those areas that you don't know but this is what we're doing to try to find out or this is how we're trying to hedge against that um over communication simplicity of communication intentionality of communication um i think we're also just culturally societally moving into a position where it's no longer enough for me to say um well my communication the way that i wanted it to come out my model in my head if it wasn't perceived in that way then that's really your issue and that wasn't that wasn't what i had intended um and so therefore you shouldn't really be taking offense or or worrying about the way that you've perceived it because that wasn't how it was supposed to be i think there's a lot more um uh kind of like that old the old modem noise that would make it was like i'm a modem i'm trying to connect and the other one's like i'm a modem i can kind of hear you i think there's a little bit more of that like here's what i'm trying to say like are you hearing that that way yeah yeah that like because and and again it's one of those items that you slow down a little bit in that and then your your implementation is so much quicker because there's just lack of of confusion there, and, mm. and I think that's positive. It's positive for a whole bunch of ways. It's, it it helps us get aligned. It helps people ensure that they are heard properly. It, it make, ensures that people um, uh, have the 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 option in that adult adult way to say, hey, the way that you communicated that with me didn't land particularly well with me. Can we talk about that so that we can work? work yeah, yeah, that? yeah. 
And and the the theme that I've been picking up with some leaders, which I think you're uh, reminding me of beautifully here, is the other thing that's come out through this time is the importance of removing assumptions. Mm-hmm. Or, or validating those assumptions. Like, here's what I'm thinking right now, or here's what I thought I heard. I just want to check that. Or I'm saying this, did that land? But let's just not be, you know, throwing messages out there and hoping they stick. Put a sign on the side of the freeway and you've read it, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and doing that on not just the first initial transfer of information bases, but updating your priors. You know, we, mm. we were to, we were together last week, last month, we had this great meeting. This is all what we what we talked about. Time has passed since then. The world changes. Yeah. So are those assumptions still valid? And and look now, you know, there's always a tension between taking the time to do that and, and progress. And and we can't let perfection become the enemy of, of progress. We can't yeah. get so sucked into that that we never emerge. And so yeah, there's always a there's always got to be a, a, a tug towards forward motion. Um, but just taking a little bit of time um, to, to, to clarify and, and, and reset those um, joint assumptions is, is really, really helpful. So I've got a, a question here. It's been buzzing around in my head as we've been talking. I want to just check in with your thoughts on this one. And I think it's a challenge a lot of leaders are facing at the moment. And that is through COVID, people have started to experience a lot of different ways of working. And it might be, I have now greater flexibility. I can work from home more when I want to, or when I need to. Um, I can be in the office sometimes and not. I can work remotely. I can actually work uh, from the back of my car at times, because that's what I choose or in a cafe or, you know, all of the options. Um, And as organizations are moving forward with people coming back into offices, how do you think we navigate this moving forward about delivering on what we need to and at the same time being considerate of people's needs and those new habits of ways of working they've developed? I think if I knew the answer to that, I could make <laughs> lots and lots of money. <laughs> I think that's the, that's, the, that's the question, the challenge of our time, uh, certainly of the next few years. And, and I think we're going to see multiple, I don't think there is one answer to all of that. You know, I think we're going to see multiple ways on, of working um, spring up. I think some organizations will, will, will say, hey, you know what, this worked, let's just stay remote um, as much as possible. There'll be some organizations that say there are certain roles that really do require on-site um, uh, presence and they have yep. to deal with that. And then I think there'll be some organizations that are 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 really good about looking at what's what's the what's the type of work that needs to happen. So back to the conversation that we had earlier about about technology. I, I think the virtual calls are really, really good for transactional stuff and flows of information and we can get stuff done. I still don't think it's quite there yet for um, longer form brainstorming and really getting to the wrestling and kicking around a problem and and dealing with the sometimes the interpersonal dynamics that happen with that you know mm. something about you, you get a you know i'm facilitating a session in a room with a team and you get the sense of the energy of who's up and who's down and who's excited and who's not and side glances and people shaking their legs and and 
you know, you, the, sometimes the best thing you can do is just say, look, let's just take 10 minutes and, and just, you know, just give everybody a chance to reset. You don't pick up on that as much hard, much harder. And it, it requires a lot more uh, of an individual opt-in to say, hey, I need to take a break here. Yeah. And so I think there'll be some organizations that say, we'll keep all of the, the transactional stuff. Uh, but if, you know, we'll be, it, we'll, we'll, everybody will be in the office on a Wednesday and we'll do our collaboration, our brainstorming then. I think that'll that'll certainly happen, and and I think there'll be some organisations who just go, nope, we're done, we're over, everybody back in. <laughs> yeah, and, and but I think the the link here back to our discussion around meetings and setting up meetings effectively is applying that also to the ways of working for the team, and that not just letting it evolve organically, but actually have the conversation: how are we going to make this work? How are we going to meet? When are we going to be in the office? And, and let's actually take the time out to really discuss that and explore that right yeah. yeah and i think and i think that the the that the good leaders um again will think through that and be intentional about it and i think that one of the tools that we don't use uh, enough is asynchronous communication mm. so how can i find a way to write a daily memo or email that is just information that my team needs, but they don't need to respond to me and I don't need to hear from them. You know, it's just a flow of information. Um, how can we uh, use uh, our IM platform in a way that's less disruptive and, and, and just a constant pull? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think we, we overvalue availability and response time and we undervalue time spent to do quality work mm. and and so i think that that we need to start thinking not just about how do we get results you know because that's what typically leaders are like how do we make sure that we get results but how do we again back to crafting experiences how do we craft a a interchange of information between me as a leader and you and as my team in, in in a way that protects your time to do your best work whatever that is whether it's coding or graphic designing or um being on the phone with your customers or selling stuff like i need to be able to find a way that i can minimize your time not doing that um so that you can concentrate on doing that whilst still making sure you're part of the team, that your wisdom is there, that you're part of key decisions, that you're, you know, bought into the direction that we're going in, all, yep. all of yep. that good, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and if there's uh, some action, I'd really invite people to consider at this point, and that is taking the time to have the conversations with their team about what that looks like for right. them and how we yeah. work that out. Yeah. Yeah. And not have that, you know, the worst thing I think that, or one of the bad things that the shift to remote has done is it's blurred people's work-life balance yeah. in some ways in a, in a negative way. And I know that some organizations just culturally, they haven't got that piece right. And so there's just this sense that like, as, so long as there's a, a technology device near me, I have to find a way to be always on and mm. having those discussions that say, you know what? response time for as you know i'm making this up response time for an email is three hours you know as long as you respond three hours not, not a problem response time to an im message is probably 90 minutes unless you've got a little i'm out of the office status update and a discussion around that you know i'm, I'm making this up but but having yeah. having that specific conversation so that folks understand 
you know, I, I, I've, I've had conversations with people and they're like, I'm, I'm afraid to step out to go to a doctor's appointment lest somebody ping me and know that I'm not at my desk. And, and to me, that's a failure of leadership because that conversation yeah. should have had to happen. And, and I think, again, um, that's a, a good link back to let's create a psychologically safe place for people to work and turn up, be at their best, to talk about these things, to raise that and to say, how does that work? How does that look for me? Right. Unless the place is on fire, it can wait, you know? Right. Yeah. And, um, so question, Dave. One of the things I'm talking to a lot of people about at the moment is the, the mental emotional impact on this past 12 months. And one of the key things I know uh, helps is having that positive anticipation. I was talking to a leader recently and they said, look, I had all these plans. And those plans are now out the window because, and they have been for some time because of travel restrictions and everything else. So we're just talking about what does that positive anticipation look like at a smaller level to generate that excitement and energy moving forward. So I actually want to know what are you looking forward to at the moment that's giving you some positive anticipation and uh, what are your thoughts on this with you, the leaders you work with? Um, so me on a personal level, interestingly enough, the book came out, all the pandemic hit and it caused me to feel a little lost in that I'd achieved this great thing. My first book, I wanted to do it for a number of years. I poured my heart and soul into it and it came out and it was like, that was great. I've achieved that goal. Awesome. And now what? I'd sort of kind of hit a, a plateau. And so my, what did you, what did you call it? Positive anticipation is the term? Yeah, yeah. That. So then it took, took me a while to just sort of think through, well, well, what is next? What do I want to do next? And so then I, I started to personally just cast a, a three-year horizon for myself. Somebody once told me you can do really, you can have one theme of your life every five years and, and that's mm, sort of mm. the, the chapters. And so I, I finally came to realize that actually the um, release of the book was an end of one chapter, which is not a bad thing, but I just got to figure out what yeah, I want nice. the next, next chapter to go. So I've, I've got a three-year kind of plan for me, funny enough, which culminates in another book coming out. <laughs> so, so maybe that's what it's based around. Um, but but I'm, I'm excited about using i think that there are times in our life when we're just go 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 and there are times in our life whenever we're growing and developing and there are times in our life whenever we're rebuilding with the tools that we have and and the three years before covid i was really developing and growing and honing a craft and feet and just kind of getting into it and i re i feel like i've reached a point where i'm like okay now i get to push that out a little bit stronger and not have to worry so much about the growing the growth will happen yeah so, nice. so that's kind of the, the season that i'm in um Second half of that was about how then do we apply that to our organizations? I, I think that it, it's got to come in this instance from the top. I think our most senior leaders, whether that's CEO or president or even better, the whole senior leadership team, has doesn't have to be. Nobody has to do anything. I think it's positive. It would behoove them to find a way to re-engage each other around the core um, guiding principles of the organization. Who yeah. are we? Who do we serve? Why do you want, why would people want to work for us? What sort of an impact do we want to have? Really take a look at that. Mm. Um, 
I think for many organizations, a lot has shifted in the last 12 months for the long term, and they haven't even been able to sit down and, and, and actually evaluate that. So just bringing people together and say, well, what did we lose over the last 12 months that was positive, that was negative? What do we want to put back? What don't we want to put back? Yeah. Um, re recast some of those guiding principles. It's exciting to get, to get, it's easy to get excited around those things. And, and that'll give you a little bit of uh, momentum and motivation. And I think that folks up and down the organization are then, I think people are starting to look for some clear clear and vulnerable communication about what the what that future holds wow i like that link back to what we talked about earlier <laughs> a couple of my favorite topics dave um thank you thanks for your time thanks for your inspiration and you know plethora of tips for leaders in this conversation um i only have one wish and that is that we don't leave it so long till we chat again Absolutely. Let's do it again. I always love talking to you. You facilitate a very good interview. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Dave. <laughs> so uh, everyone listening, uh, of course, I am confident that you got something out of this conversation. As I said, Dave is so full of uh, insights and knowledge. Check out his book. It is a, a fantastic book. And uh, if you got something out of this conversation, you want to tag Dave and myself, online on linkedin on instagram and let us know that would be fantastic uh, we'd love to know the impact of these conversations uh keep well keep having conversations with clarity and vulnerability and um we'll uh talk to you soon thanks thanks again dave thanks Murray.